you know, I was on the set every day. I, I was a, a associate producer. So because I live here in L.A., luckily, and the film, in, the film in L.A. and Hollywood, I was able to go to it every day. And I would just show up there right in the crack of dawn and um, just hang around the set, basically. There's not much for you to do as an associate producer. You already created the property, so um, you just enjoy the... Uh, I would just walk around, hang out with this department, the clothing department, the wardrobe people, the lighting guys one day, and just, just watching people making your movie. It's a trip. You are listening to Geekdom in Pals. Hello and welcome back. My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geekdom in Powers, the podcast that highlights the things which are less highlighted in the geek world. Today we talk about indie comics with Javier Hernandez, who has been making indie comics for more than 20 years now. Many of you maybe know his comics about El Muerto. We talk about how he started how he was able to stick it out for so many years, about how they made a movie out of his comics, and so many more things. Also about how my cat is a war criminal, but uh, uh, that's another thing. If you want to know how to stick with it for a long time, listen to this podcast. So let us listen to the conversation with Javier Hernandez. It's very nice to meet you. Uh, yes, thanks for having me uh, on board. So uh, let me know a little bit about your past, about how you got here. Yeah, I've been doing comics uh, about 23 years. I'm an independent, self-published creator. Uh, I write and draw my own work. So I've been publishing it myself for the last 23 years. But even um, before well, that, how, how did you get here? Even before that, how did you get to do that? Into, into comics? Yeah. Uh, my, my, my older brother gave me his, like a big old stack of comics when he got, he was already in high school, so he kind of outgrew it. So, yeah, hey, you want these? Go, yes. <laughs> so I was a little kid and I got his, um, it was like a stack of comics, like uh, 1969, 1970, 71. So there was like Neil Adams, Batman in there, The Last of the Jack Kirby, Spider-Man, you know, just a mix of Marvel, DC. So as a kid, I read all those books over and over. And then a few years later, I guess I started buying my own comics uh, out here in the States. They were a quarter, 25 cents. So like right in the middle of the Bronze Age, 1974, 75. So mm -hmm. I grew I really grew up on that Bronze Age Marvel uh, era. Um, what comic books then, did you uh, like at the time? Oh, the favorites were, well, the Marvel, like a lot, you know, the Spider-Man uh, with Ross Andrew. Um Fantastic Four. I think probably George Perez was on that. Uh, uh, pretty much all the mainstream Marvel stuff, but I liked all the weird stuff. Um, the weird stuff like Man Thing, Ghost Rider, Son of Satan. He used to trip me out as a kid. Like, wow, these are like demonic heroes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's that was a really big influence. Those things. Um, and then growing up on television, you know, we had the Incredible Hulk TV show which I thought was the best thing in the world, and I still love it. Um, Six Million Dollar Man, of course, there was reruns of everything. Steve Adam Austin, Man. I love that show. Exactly. Yes. You're from the same era, yes. <laughs> Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Slow, slow the camera down. Um, and he was a real straightforward hero, right? He, 
he didn't have any angst, which I love Bruce Banner on the Hulk because he was all he was very tortured. And I love tortured heroes like that. But Steve Austin, when you think about it, he was like Superman. He had not really much angst. He's just like, hey, I got to do my job. And uh, that's it. So um, I like those type of heroes, like, I guess, the extremes. Um, then eventually uh, I, I started getting burned out on comics. Like around the time McFarlane and those guys started working on Spider-Man and Jim Lee on X-Men. Um, because by then I was already reading comics for 15 years, and I don't know about you, but it's like, yeah, you know what? I pretty much have seen every type of story. What you know, what can you do now? And then the heroes got started getting really dark, and then they started giving Daredevil armor. And it's like, these aren't my comics. So I, I quit reading Marvel and I kind of jumped over to DC right when they started breaking Batman's back and killing off Superman. So I I, I got into all those Batman Superman storylines. And then the return of Superman and Reign of the... And then I started looking at a lot of more independent comics. Like, hey, you know what? There's a whole world of comics out there besides Marvel DC. Just black and white, independent, non-superhero, whatever. Uh, Then, of course, Mike Allred's uh, Madman came out. And I was like, oh, you could do a superhero where it's kind of retro, kind of quirky, not really dark, but it is kind of odd. So then, you know, by then it's like the 90s and I started thinking, you know what? I want to make my own comics, but I don't want to work at Marvel and DC. I want to make comics, but you know what? I don't want to be the 150th person working on Thor. No offense to anybody out there. So, you know what? Make Create your own characters. So that's what I did in 98, my first issue of El Muerto. In 98? 98, yeah. Yes. 25 years in uh, two more years, so... So you created El Muerto. Yes, El Muerto, the dead man, the dead one, whatever you want. To, yeah, however you want to. So let's assume not everyone knows who that is. So can you like say a few words about? Um, oh, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. El Muerto. I think a lot of people are probably familiar now today because of the movie Coco that came out a few years ago. The Mexican Day of the Dead, the Dia de los Muertos festival that occurs on November 2nd, where it's, you're basically honoring or remembering people that you love who passed on family or friends and you just honor them with um sometimes you go to their grave or at home you set up a little like an altar so you put mementos of the person picture of grandma maybe your favorite food whatever and you just honor their memory you know basically so i wanted to do a comic book that reflected a little bit of that so hence the character's called el muerto um the dead one or the dead man, not dead man, that's DC comics, but the dead guy, the dead man, whatever. So, um, yeah, in 98, I did the first issue, uh, trying to figure out how to make a comic as far as like, you know, not just like a, a comic as a kid, but like a professional comic. And, you know, obviously I look back at that first issue and I think my work is way better now yeah. than it was 23 years ago. And I'm sure it'll be better in 10 years from now. So it's just, that's just evolution. How excited were you when you, the first comic came out? What did you? What was that? Oh, when you go to when I went to the printers to pick up the box, you know, because it's one thing to work on it, you draw it, and then you scan it, and you're working on the computer, the lettering. But once you send it off, and then you pick up a physical book, like wow, it's such a huge accomplishment. That sense of accomplishment—it's so huge. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and I feel that every time I get a box of comics, every time I do a new book. Um, but that first one, you're right, because you never had your own comic book printed professionally in your life until that first one. And it's like, wow. And how, how was it received? How did, uh, how, did, how, how did you even get it to people? How did people get to know about it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's one step at a time, one show at a time, you know, doing, you know, getting a table at a comic convention, uh, doing a signing at your local comic shop or, or any other bookstore. Back, back in the day when it was easier to find bookstores. Um, it's just one event at a time, right? Because you go to a convention for two days, I don't know, maybe I sold 50 copies. I do a signing at a bookstore. Maybe I sold five copies, but it's just, I mean, at the time you don't know, you get, you start panicking, right? Like, Oh, I didn't have hundred people in line. Well, you're mm -hmm. not going to, they don't know you. So I, I realize now, and I tell people it's, it's a, it's a long, it's a marathon. Yeah. Cause if you want that one year, if you have like a plan, I mean, it's okay to have a business plan, but so if you don't make that business plan, then I guess you're going to go out. You're going to quit. Because, you know, it's not worth your time and money. Those of us who don't know any better, who just foolishly go into it for the love of it. Um, I mean, of course, I want to sell the books. So sure. that's why I just keep hammering away. This Do this show, do that show. Team up with a friend and drive upstate to another show. You know, get out of your area. And it's just, you know, I'm sure you know this. It's just, it's a war of attrition. I mean, you just literally got to keep chipping away at it. If you know 23 years later, I'm still doing that. So um there's something very, to it. It's very hard to, to, to it's very hard. It yeah. Yeah, people get people get I remember going to a you know a particular show up in Northern California, the Alternative Press Expo, the Ape. And I go every year and I run into the same other artists at their table. Sure. And I would keep going. And then one day I'd run into these people, like they were no longer publishing. And then they run into me and hey, Javier, you're still making comics? Like, yeah. They go, well, we're just here to visit. You know, we, we quit doing our comic, but we like coming to check out the show. But yeah. you're still doing it, right? I go, yeah, it's just, I mean, it really struck me that conversation. Like, it's probably about 10 years ago. So, you know, some people try to stick it out, maybe five years, maybe 10. But I think they drop, I think, I think you would drop out after maybe about five years. I don't know. But long term you know i mean it doesn't make doesn't make me better doesn't make my comic better than them i'm just saying i really want to do this i want to create my stories and i want to get them out there yeah you know i have a, i have i have one at least one friend a great artist maybe everybody has one friend like that he makes comics he does it a 10 page story 20 page story mm -hmm. and then he feels like he's done with it he puts it in his drawer okay, okay i'm done let me do another one and i'm like wait a minute we're i'm just gonna print it well, I don't want to, you know, I don't really want to print things. I just want to do it for myself. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. I'm sure there's people like that that write songs for themselves. And, sure. you know, I'm in it for commercial reasons. I want to create the work and I want to get it out there and I want to sell it so I can sustain myself. Um, but, so there's a commercial aspect to it, but it's very personal. The stories are very personal. The desire to create these stories is just intrinsic to to me so um but, but is that a commercial aspect or is that you know i want as many people to read the thing i created or to see the thing i created uh and you also would like to live from it it's not like i want to be a millionaire if i do this 20 more years i'll get you know right. dollars for it 
I think you just want, you believe it, you want to share the stories with other people and you would like it to sustain, to give it, you know, the financial uh, support. Yes. How to do that and to work at the same time. Uh, so I, I don't think it's, it's just commercial, at least from what I hear from you. Yeah, yeah, it's not just commercial. It's, but I mean, there's that component because sure. to print books, It costs money to print them. It costs money to go get a table at a show. If it's a two-day show, whatever, three-day show, and you got to travel, it costs money to travel, hotel, um, just supporting yourself. So, yeah, that's, you know, I don't just make these comics and give them away for free. That's why I say there's a commercial aspect to it, the business aspect. But that's not the only thing that drives me because if, if that was the case... I'm sure I would have stopped years ago, like some of the other folks I mentioned to you. After a year or two, they go, oh, no, I can't. You know, it's just not working. So um, so I think it's a combination of that, at least for me. Yeah. I, I can tell you from, you know, from being at a stand and talking to people, where there's, you know, it's just, it's not just my stand, there are other uh, books there. And I really enjoy talking to people To the people who buy my stuff but also to the people who will never buy my stuff right I just enjoy seeing you see the readers with your own eyes and you talk to them and, and that gives me it makes me happy uh, even if they don't buy my stuff and they tell me they'll never buy my stuff they, like, they don't like this kind of thing uh, I enjoy talking to people yeah that, that, that's yeah that's a important because so many artists as you know artists and writers are they're not very social they hate being at a table but you know i like to engage the audience too like when they come to my table i don't just automatically go, hey here's my book i ask him like oh hi have you been to the show before you know no it's my first time i come every year whatever you know did you buy anything today what are you looking for and yeah like i said just chat it up and then obviously it's like you know they came to your table so it's like oh well yeah i'm here because i make comics And they check them out. And um, yeah, if they don't buy it, then, you know, hey, enjoy the rest of your day. Um, that's a whole other component. Because, yeah, some artists can be very um, not comfortable in a social atmosphere. So um, if you want to be an independent, you've got to be the one selling the book. And I saw that over time, uh, El Muerto uh, advanced or changed, right? There are many books and those. Yeah. And we did a movie. I had a movie made out of it, which was a, yeah, that was, the, you know, talk about how I feel about my first comic. Um, yeah, getting an independent film made out of it from an independent Hollywood producer and director. How did um, that happen? Like, what was that? Uh, I did an interview at San Diego Comic Con one year, about 2001, with uh, some reporter from... Uh, NPR it's our over here it's our national public uh, radio uh, thing so he did a it came by my table and then you know he asked like you asking questions about El Muerto and then um, they aired it you know I think nothing of it I go okay what's well, good I did the interview but you know I'm gonna move on I, you know maybe I won't ever hear the interview but at least my part is I got the word out um, so it turns out a director heard it an independent director he heard the interview like a week later. And then he tracked me down and then they wrote me a letter and they wanted to buy some of the comics. And then eventually um, they go, hey, the director would like to meet you. Like, well, obviously. 
I know what that's about, you know. Mm-hmm. So then I went and met him in Hollywood there and uh, Sunset Boulevard at his office. And th- this is over months, maybe even a, maybe almost a year because he was traveling and everything. And then um, he just picked my brain for about an hour about El Muerto, the backstory, the themes, the character origins and everything. And then he goes, well, I, you know, obviously I called you in here because I'm interested in turning this into a film. Um, so real long, it's a real long process I could tell you about, you know, and then, but yeah, they contacted me because I did an interview on the radio. So never turn down interviews. Is what, what yeah, they you have. never know. You never know. You never know. Especially nowadays with, with so much appetite, you know, not, in the old days when I did this, there was no streaming networks. Now you got the mighty Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, and then, and then you got all these streaming. So there's this, the, those monsters, they need product. Mm-hmm. They need ideas. They need IP. So, you know, I'm not surprised if they got interns listening to every comic book podcast out there um, just to hear what's out there, you know. They also, I don't know if you get that in the States, but I see a lot of uh, science fiction and fantasy series on Netflix, which are not from English-speaking countries. There's Russian ones, the German oh. ones, and French ones, and uh, right. South from South Africa. So I don't yeah. know if you get them in the states, but it's it's the Netflix is growing in Japan. Oh yeah, America. yeah, yeah. The world's much more uh, smaller in that regard, as far as like yeah, everything goes. So what happened then? Uh, did, did you write the script for uh, the movie? No, no, I did not write the script. Uh, so then we met, we got a producer involved and he had, it was, I'm very lucky because it's an independent producer. They don't have money, but he had already had a relationship with these investors that they wanted to make. Hey, we want to make a movie. So then Larry, the producer, he's got these guys, right. That want to make a movie with them. They got money. And then he's got this director comes in with this comic book property he wants to do. So at that point, it was pretty much like, Nothing's guaranteed in Hollywood, but like I knew he had investment money. So um, then we made a deal and then the director uh, hired a writer, I think, one or two writers. And then, you know, this again, it's like another year or two. And then the director ended up writing the script and then um, we started filming it. You know, I was on the set every day. I I was a, a associate producer. So because I live here in L.A., luckily. And in the film, in, the film in L.A. and Hollywood, I was able to go to it every day. And I would just show up there right in the crack of dawn and um, just hang around the set, basically. There's not much for you to do as an associate producer. You already created the property, so um, you just enjoy the... Uh, I would just walk around, hang out with this department, the clothing department, the wardrobe people, the lighting guys one day. and Just, just watching people making your movie. It's a trip. <laughs> and what was it... Was- Did you feel like a strange and hopefully amazing dissonance from when you saw it physically uh, as opposed to, you know, imagining it and drawing it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's an interesting comment. Um, yeah, because you're, you're, you're visiting the set. I mean, they're making the movie, right? Like, I'm not walking around telling people what to do. That's not your role. The director wrote the script. Everybody follows his cue. You know, he's a director of the film, which I understand. So, yeah, in a way, you're kind of an outsider, um, just floating around the set, looking at everybody just do their job. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, like, well, the only reason they're here 
the only reason this hundred person crew has to wake up every morning and drive all the way out there is because, you know, they're making the movie based on your comic, which mm-hmm. that's a, that's a trippy thing. I remember the first day. Yeah. Um, you guys probably know here in California, we have all the, the missions, the old missions. So there's, there's, so we filmed that one of them called the San Fernando mission. So that was the first day of shooting. So I was there in the parking lot with everybody. And then, you know, the assistant director calls everybody's attention to make a big giant circle in the parking lot, all the crew. And then she was just giving the like, Hey guys, this is our first day of shooting. You know, we got a three week shoot, whatever it is, just giving a pep talk. And then she goes, Oh, by the way, everybody. So let's all just take one moment here. We got to thank, there's one person we got to thank for sure. Who without them even starting this, we wouldn't be here. And then she called me out. She called me out. And um, that was, that was nice. Cause they were like, hey, thank you. Thank you. So, nice. so yeah, that was pretty special. And then at that point though, Okay, you guys, you guys make the movie now. You know, I'm just gonna watch because you know you're not you're not you're not supposed to be walking around telling people, oh, don't listen to that, do it this way. Uh-uh. That's not the way it works. You know what I mean? Um, w- w- when the director was writing the script, that's when I would chime in because he would send me a copy, and he always told me, he goes, read the read the draft, and tell me don't don't tell me what how do you put it. Don't tell me I don't like this. I don't like that. Tell me, hey, I don't like this because of this. Or I don't think, and that makes sense to me. Yes, don't just be an idiot and say, oh, this is stupid. I don't like it. Tell me, tell the guy, oh, you know what? I I think we should look at, reconsider this or that. So anyway, that was the type of respect I think we had on the, between me and the the writer director. Um, But then once the script's done, like, okay, it's his thing to make. So um, again, just, hang around the set and eat those nice meals with everybody. And uh, I did have a cameo in the movie. So really? that was, yeah. I asked him for did a you cameo. Die? Did you die in the movie? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no deaths for this guy. Like, like when Stan Lee drank that soda pop in the, was it the Hulk movie? I think. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, yeah. I had a cameo with the star of the film and he was actually wearing the Almuerto costume. So, um, yeah, I don't want nice. to be background, you know. It's very nice. It must feel like, you know, it's like something that's only in your imagine, imagination just comes true. Yeah. And like I said, the respect that I had for them and they had for me, and it is like a dream because it worked out really, it was real beautiful. The whole, it was a quick shoot, I think three or four weeks. Yeah. And it's like, I never worked on a film before. I'm not, you know, but. My director told me before we started filming, he's all, once you start working on the movie, your life's going to be like a bubble because you're going to be on the set for at least 12 hours a day. You're going to go home. You're not going to have time to do anything. You're going to work six days a week. You can have one day off during the week. And yeah, that one day off I had here at the house, it's like, cause I had so much to catch up on, you know, back then, like, okay, I got to go to the bank, do the mail, do the banking that day laundry groceries and then next thing you know it's evening time okay go to sleep and then start again and then once the film was done you wake up after the third day it's like wow this is weird i missed i miss going to the set because you know you were there so 12 hours with all these people and um but but i remember coming back home and then by the third day or something 
I got back to drawing the next comic. And again, that was cool because now it's just me at the table again, just me and my pencil and paper. It's not a crew. I don't have to check with anybody. There's no comments from people. Oh, you know what I mean? Back to doing my creator-owned comic. So I love the movie. I love making it. And I love making my own comic a little bit more or a lot more. But yeah, the movie experience is fantastic. Absolutely. And how was, what happened once the movie was released? Yeah, so the movie gets released. Um, so the good thing is it was independent film. We did a lot of film festivals locally here in Los Angeles, California, Northern California. And I went to several of them. So, you know, it'd be cool. Like you're walking down the carpets and you're being interviewed and you go to the after party and you get to see the film with audiences. Like that was new. It's like, wow, this is interesting. Like, oh, they're laughing at the right jokes. And then they're, you know, they're all intent on it. And then the Q&A afterwards. Um, so, yeah, that is, that's a whole, yeah, there's so many different levels on the film, right? Making it and then, po po and then like, then it's finally, like with a comic. Okay, now the comic's done. Now I got to go out and sell it. The movie's done. Now we go out and show it. You know, that's the difference between a movie and a comic. The movie is, um, what do you call it? A communal experience, right? Because, you know, it's an audience. A comic you just sit there and read it by yourself. You know, we're not reading it together. Um, so that's kind of neat how and I'm experiencing it. You get to see people watching it. Well, people read right. the book at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a, really, it's a really neat uh, dichotomy that you experience. You can always feel, even in the dark, even when everyone watches in the dark, you can feel when people get it or don't get it, what, they, what the audience as a whole feels their mood, their attention, even if they don't laugh, even if they don't make a noise, you can feel different audiences and how the story goes. Even when I go see movies, you know, all movies, not, not the one based on my comic. I remember one time I was watching uh, the theater Schindler's List. And, you know, there's one of the scenes that was just, you know, the film's black and white and, of course, the subject matter. And I remember I had to look down the side at all the people and their faces just like stone cold staring at the screen. Yeah, you're right. Like while you're experiencing everybody's emotional uh, stakes in the, in, in, a, in the film. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting, the theater. You know, I, I think we're all, I think we're because we're barely coming out of the whole shutdown. Like I think we're all, I, only, I barely went to the movies for the first time. I saw Black Widow last week. First time I went to the movies since... March of last year, I saw The Invisible Man. That was the last film I saw. Oh. It was weird sitting in the, in the theater, like, wow. Because this is our church. This is our, you know, this is our modern, like, yeah, the big dark theater. I'm sitting down. It felt very nice and comfortable. <laughs> it is. It is an experience, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, reading comics, reading yeah. comics during the shutdown, that, that was no different. You just read it at home. But, yeah, the, like I said, the, the movie thing is a very special public uh thing something you know i also wanted to ask you when i look uh at your stuff there's a lot of uh aztec mythology uh in it right yes in el muerto yes well yeah that's the thing it was i wanted to do something with day of the dead folklore but also aztec mythology which back in 1998 you very rarely saw in the media and very rarely saw in comic books. So um, 
That, that's part of the story of El Muerto, which like, yeah. How, how did you come to you know Aztec mythology and what happened when you put it out? Yeah, you know what? So you're not being taught that in school out here. It's always just the Greek and Roman stuff growing up in, you know, high school and college. Um, I, I just knew about it, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe being Mexican-American, like you would see things here and there um, in, you know, stores or museums or bookstores. But I started researching it more when I came up with El Muerto. Like, okay, if I'm going to be obviously, you know, exploring this universe, that I better go get go to the library get some books. So yeah, the majority of it, uh, guy was um, having to research it um, for the purpose of making the book. But because I had grown up reading like Jack Kirby Thor comics and things like that, I go yeah, I want to make my comic kind of loose, loose as far as like the interpretation of the the gods because the way Kirby would just really loose loosely take Thor and Loki or you know Odin and I'm sure those were his versions of those characters. Because sure. when you read about them or you look at them, they look different, like the original Thor version. He had a red beard and all that. So um, I knew I wanted to do that. Like, let me do some research, but I'm not going to, you know, once you're out of school and college, like for me, I don't want to do research like it's homework, like hours and hours and notes. So I just did a, you know, a lot of it was visual and then some of the story elements of the gods. But I reinterpreted for, the purpose of my story, yeah. Did you go for Aztecs? This this is the thing I, I'm trying to see. Did you go? So it's not actually, this is the thing I grew up on. This is the myths I grew up on that no one around me knows. Maybe it was your version of, say, you know, we've got Thor and Odin as a uh, Norse god. So let's take something no one has done yet and let's go for the Aztecs, Aztec mythology. Oh no, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I did. I I didn't grow up with these uh, with Aztec mythology as a child. You know, like reading about them because it was, yeah, it was mostly confined to like more scholarly type works. Whereas as a kid, I saw tons of Hercules cartoons or all the you know comic books. Like for whatever reason, those mythologies have saturated way more into Western, you know, Western uh, society and pop culture than um mexican or south american uh mythologies so yeah it's something i had to go research as an adult you know there was no cartoons with aztec gods in them when i was growing up well you know the, the basis of theater is in uh uh is in greece and all the classic tragedies and and the comedies were about the gods and right. you've got Greek Greek gods tending to Roman gods, and Roman gods took over Europe, and uh, you know the Roman, not the gods, the Romans, and you know they've got influences all over Europe, which basically took over uh, most of the world, like uh, Americas. Yeah, yeah. So, so now, like I was saying, when I did it in '98, there wasn't much. Now, when I look around in comics, and I look on Twitter, and I see there's so many new voices doing. Like, like there's more Aztec comics. There was this cartoon came out called uh, Onyx Equinox. I think it's on, I want to say Hulu maybe, but yeah, it was like, a, it's a, I think the lady was Mexican, the producer, the writer, but it's like a cartoon, an anime cartoon basically on incorporating Aztec mythology. Um, so you're seeing a lot more of that. You're seeing, yeah, now you're seeing more. So I think we're hopefully. Wait, is it the one with the time travel? 
Uh, was it time travel? I don't think I had time travel. I'm not sure. I only seen the, I only seen the pilot, but uh-huh. it's called Onyx Equinox, and uh, it takes place in the Aztec days. Um, and then I think there's other shows coming out, other movies, you know, uh, with Aztec themes and other things like that. So, yeah, I mean, moving forward from this point on, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, it's growing. It's also easier to research today because oh, yeah. so much stuff yeah. is just on the internet and easily searchable. No, no, you're right. Like I told you, I, I had to go to the library. I had to make a trip yeah. to the library and look up Aztec mythology. But today, I, even I look at today when I'm looking, there's so many websites I go to of you know, Aztec mythology, Mayan mythology. So and the internet's so- been a great equalizer. It's been a great equalizer. It's been it's more accessibility for you as a producer or you as a, a viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- on the other hand, there is also great inequality. Uh, uh, I've just, I, I've heard that like in Wikipedia uh, about, you know, people from history, there's so much, um, so, there are so many women we know had a part in history that don't appear in Wikipedia. Because mo- probably because most of the editors are men and that, the, that's not the things they know and right. the things that interest them. Uh, so inequality still exists even though we have free access to information. Um, so I, what, what are you working on now? Uh, so I'm working on a, a second Alberto graphic novel. Um, I don't have the first one here with me, but... I'm working on the second graphic uh, graphic novel, and I'm also working on a um, I'm doing a zine uh, uh, based on art comic artist Steve Ditko. Um, so I'm putting that together. Um, I did a zine about him a few years ago, but now I'm doing an expanded version, like twice as many pages. It's going to be larger size. An I'm going to debut it at the. Uh, an analysis. I'm sorry. Work or an analysis of his work or. Yeah, yeah, of his work, his life. Yeah, just different things. Just It's filled with different articles in, in the zine. Um, yeah, like a timeline of his career, uh, you know, analyzing some of the character designs, just different things. Um, so what I hear from you is that you don't just do, this is the story I have to tell you. You go down your own path and do the things you like, even if it's not yours. Like Steve Ditko, you want to... Uh, get that information out there. You want to get, you know, your analysis, and it's just your path. It doesn't have. It's not about you. It's just your path. Yeah, it, it's yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's 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 me creating all this stuff, whether it's a character or, like you said, uh, creating like some material of Steve Dicko's. You know, got a long career, just to educate people. He's obviously obviously he's a huge influence on me. So. Um, yeah. That's so those so are the two cool. main things. Thank you. Uh, so, what what would you like? Like, is there something we missed that you want to tell people about? Um. Oh, one more, one one last thing I'm working on. So, yeah. I also ten years ago I started co-organizing my own comic book convention. Um, it's called the Latino Comics Expo, okay. and the purpose of that is to spotlight like people like me. Um, Latino American creators, you know, so like, you know, my parents are from Mexico. I was born here. 
Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, I, I call myself a Mexican-American. And then, you know, so we're looking where the purpose of the convention is to highlight artists, writers, creators of a Latino background or they have Latino characters or content. Um, and so we've been doing it 10 years. We do a show every year. Um, so last year we had to do a virtual, <laughs> like everybody else, we had to learn how to do a virtual show. But this year we're planning on doing in-person uh, here in the Los Angeles area, actually the city of Long Beach. People may know where that's at. But, um, so we're putting together that show. Again, we have about, I think there's like 55 tables. So it gives an idea of the size. It's not a huge convention, but it's pretty good size. Uh, we have panels, you know, people talking about their work or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I've been co-organizing that. So, yeah, like, again, talking about creating stuff, creating a convention. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's important because we get a lot of new people show, always come, new artists or just the audience. Like, oh, I didn't know there was so many comics based on Latino culture, whether it's Mexican or Puerto Rican or Cuban or, you know, South American mythology or history, whatever. So um, it's an extension of what I do, right, with El Muerto. Um, but like you're saying, it's just being very creative and just doing different things. Um, it's a whole different type of work, you know, organizing the show versus writing a story or writing about a favorite artist of yours. But it has its benefits for sure. It's, cool. and it's been going on for how many years now? Yeah, this is our 10th anniversary. Wow. It's hard to believe. Like, wow, we've been doing this 10 years. That's a lot of planning. That's yeah, yeah, you're right. Add up all the planning. Yeah. You know, it's like about three or four months out of my out of my life every year. Wow. It, it's cool because you go to the show, then you get to see some of the people that you saw last year. Well, you know, like a regular convention. Yeah. You only see certain people, you only see certain people once a year at a particular show sometimes. Um and it's cool to see the fans come back, you know, and then, you know, especially young, it's really nice to see young kids, young girls and boys, they walk in and they're like, because they, they'll get inspired, like, oh, we can make comics too, because these people look like us or sound like us or have a similar background. And that's so important. That's so important. And also we can be heroes, like if it's comics about superheroes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I was a fan of everybody, like Kirby, Ditko, and John Buscema, and everybody. Um, but I didn't know there was a time where I would notice, like, well, none of the characters are Latino, right? None of them. Maybe White Tiger from Marvel. Um, but that didn't make me angry or anything. But I just noticed it. So I think that's why when I did El Muerto in '98, I I was like, definitely no, I'm definitely gonna do a character whose roots are in Aztec mythology and the Day of the Dead folklore. So um so I think that's I think that's good that other people get inspired to and I you know I meet people I get young people write me all the time like hey Mr. Hernandez blah 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 and this and so you know that's good the work's getting done and it's getting out there. Not just the work of my story that's the most important part like just my story and my art but if you can influence other people that's good. Yeah so for a second I have to feed the cat, or he's going to make. Oh no! It's okay. Cat's got it. Not the cat. Otherwise, he's going to meow through the entire. Yeah, yeah. 
cats are very uh let they let you know what they want i had a dream once that the cat made me sign an nda so that i couldn't say how annoying he is that's funny and then wow i like that it's also you know it's He wakes me up about six times a night because he wants to go out, he wants to come in, and he needs to meow at me every time he wants food, even though he has food. He needs me to make sense. And I checked, and it is against the Geneva Convention to, to wake prisoners six times a, a night. <laughs> the cat is a war criminal. A violation, yes. Yes. That's funny. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for the time and thank you for uh, letting us know about everything. And it was a great interview. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for uh, bringing me on and for your interest in my work. I appreciate it, Guy. Thank you so much to Javier. It has been such a truly important conversation about the virtues of sticking with it, sticking with your own thing, loving your thing and not waiting for the big reward. Uh, for the big financial reward at the end. In a couple of episodes, we're going to build on this conversation of sticking with it, uh, of sticking it out in the world of indie comics. So stay around for that. That's a surprise. I won't say anything more about that, but I am planning kind of previously on Gig the Mean Powers. And next time, we'll have a truly surprising conversation with Avril Halley about bad science fiction and fantasy movies. She is making a living out of watching bad movies, which is one of her loves. So we're talking about being empowered, uh, how your geekdom empowers you, and this is definitely a thing. If you're a fan of science fiction and fantasy movies, of bad movies, or of the podcast, How Did This Get Made?, Check out the next episode. I do like to end the episodes with a cliffhanger just because I can and I'm a storyteller. So if anything I can do to make you, to force you to turn the page, uh, that is, I'm going to do that. Anyway, knowing what's coming is also the plus side of uh, posting these things three times a week and pre-recording stuff. Woohoo, pre-recording. Anyway. Geekdom Empowers releases three episodes a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. If you want to contact me about the episodes or to suggest more guests or for any reason, email me at guy.hasson at geekdomempowers.com. That's guy, G-U-Y dot H-A-S-O-N, Hasson, at geekdomempowers.com. No hyphens, no spaces. Check out our website, geekdomimpowers.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we're both at geekdomimpowers. No hyphens or spaces. My name is Guy Hasson, and I will see you in the next episode. For now, have an empowered day.